following message is recorded at City Light Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. City Light Church exists to shine the light of Christ in our city and world through the transformed lives of His people. For more information on the church and its ministries, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org. John chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. And these are God's words. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you, in, put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when the hour comes, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And I want to talk to you about uh, a little bit about the Holy Spirit and his role and function and his work. Um, as it relates to the Christian, the life of the Christian, as it relates to uh, Christianity in general. Um, I, I have a lot of experience wrestling with trying to understand what is the role and the function of the Holy Spirit. My life, uh, my life has been a journey of trying to figure out what is the Spirit, what's his purpose? I kind of understand the Father, I kind of understand Jesus, but what is his purpose? I, I recall, you know, growing up and, and, and going to churches at points in time, and someone would get up and, and, and in a moment of in a moment of intense, um, fervent, um, exuberant energy, they just start jumping up and shouting and and dancing and shaking, and, and nobody could stop them, right? And they were just moving and moving, and then the mothers would surround them and kind of fan them, right? And, 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 and they would just continue on, and, and nobody could stop them. And, and, and I remember asking um, for the first time, was, you know, what's going on? I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I asked grandma. I don't know if I asked mom. I don't know if I asked dad. I can't remember who I asked, but... Ask somebody. I mean, it, <laughs> you want to know when that happens, right? What's what's going on? And so I asked somebody, and they and um and they told me they said um they they just caught the spirit. I said, well, that's that's an interesting footnote. I, I mean, how how is you know how does that happen? And how how can I apply? You know how how can I catch what what has just been caught 
by this man or by this woman. And, 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 so, and so my extent of the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit was, was basically he was kind of doing duck, duck, goose in a Sunday morning service and just kind of walking around, you know, or, or, or kind of moving around from seat to seat to seat to seat to seat until he said, gotcha. And then when he said, gotcha, somebody jumped up and started dancing and shouting and running around and screaming. And I was like, okay, that's, that, that must be what the Spirit does. That's, that's, his, that's his purpose. That's his role. That's his function. And, 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 and it's not quite that. There's, there's, there's a little bit more to what he does. There's a little bit more to who he is. And, and, and I want to talk to you a little bit about it because it's essential that you know this. It's essential that you know this. I want to start this morning by looking at verse 4 because it's, it serves as a kind of hinge point between two different thoughts. So the earlier portion, before you get to verse 4, focuses on Jesus continuing the warnings about, uh, about the how um, in which the world will oppose the Christian. So we talked about last week that there is opposition that the world has towards the Christian. And, and, and Jesus continues that thought as we move from, verse, uh, from chapter 15 into verses 1 through 3. But the latter half, as you move past verse 4 into, into verses 8 and beyond, focuses on, in particular, um, Jesus's uh, Jesus' promise to us and the promise that we have in Jesus, which is the Holy Spirit, and how the Holy Spirit will help us navigate the animosity that is being displayed towards us. So, so before you get to verse 4, he's talking about the animosity. He's talking about the hatred. He's talking about the rage and the fury that, that the world system will have towards those that profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But then the latter part, once you get past verse 4 and move into verses 8 and beyond, it talks about the Spirit's work in helping us navigate that animosity. In other words, the Spirit is important. Very important. Because if we take this to be truth, then what we see is that Jesus doesn't really anticipate you navigating this world's animosity very well without the Spirit. Does that make sense? So there are at least a couple of reasons here that, that we are hearing these scary words that Jesus is giving us in, 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 verse, in verses uh, 1 through 3 and in verses uh uh, 25 or 18 through 25 in chapter 15. There's a, there's a couple of reasons, right? So Jesus says this in verse 4. He says in chapter 16, verse 4, I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I do not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. I have said these things to you, and then he begins to give us reasons. As a matter of fact, in verse in verse 1, we hear the same thing. We hear this idea of saying these things for a reason. Verse 1, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. So again, there is a reason. Jesus is giving us reasons for saying all the tough things that he's saying now. Why now? Why tell us that the world hates us now? Why tell us that they're going to persecute us now? Why tell us that they're going to bring us to the synagogues and think that they're doing God's work now? Why tell us these things now? Well, there's reasons for that. Jesus shares these hard words, the hard words of chapter 15. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, then the world would love you as its own. But, but because you are not of the world, I chose, you, uh, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Jesus shares those hard things, the idea that the servant 
is not above his master. The idea that they persecuted me, so they will persecute you. The idea that some of us in the faith will suffer, not for doing wrong, not because we forsook the faith, but precisely because we did exactly what God called us to do. We kept the faith. One of the most popular passages in all the Bible, we use it as, as a bulletin material for our, for, our, uh, for our funeral services. And the passage is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, and it says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. Is everyone, has anyone ever read that during a bulletin or on a bulletin at a funeral service, right? Or you've heard that shared at a funeral service. Those words spoken by the Apostle Paul weren't, weren't written from the hand of a man that was coming to a quiet, boring, uneventful end to his life and then just transitioning on into glory. No, right before those words, in that same passage... Paul shares these words, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. For I am already poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul sees himself not quietly transitioning. He sees this transition coming through death. In fact, as Paul writes about his security and having fought a good fight, he writes it from a jail in his final hours before being punished by death for holding on to his faith, not for forsaking it. So these are the hard truths that Jesus is speaking of. This is the similar challenge that the disciples can expect according to Jesus in chapter 15 and chapter 16. When it is all said and done, faithfulness to Jesus sometimes will ignite animosity, not extinguish it. Sometimes animosity will bring about persecution and suffering, not avoid it. Now, this shouldn't surprise us when we think about outsiders. We know that that walking with Jesus will bring animosity from those on the outside. But if you read this chapter and you read the chapter that we covered last week, what you find out is that it is from the inside as well. As a matter of fact, in verse 2 and verse 3 of this chapter, chapter 16, we hear Jesus say this, they will put you out of where? Those are religious places, right? Doesn't say they're going to put you out of Starbucks. They may but he's talking about they're going to put you out of the synagogue, the places where God is claimed to be worshipped. Indeed, an hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor have they known me. That is persecution coming from the inside, a persecution that will be done in the name of God, a persecution that will come in the form of righteousness. So how will we know whether or not it is righteous when it comes? It's a couple of ways. It it, it will be done. Think about it like this. If 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 it comes, it will oftentimes be done outside of an intimate knowledge of Jesus. That's what he says in verse three. He says that these things are happening because they have not known the Father and they have not known me. And so it won't reflect the nature of Christ. It won't reflect the nature of the Father. It will be more rage than, it, than, than grace and more aggression than mercy and more pride than humility and more self-glory than Christ's glory and more hatred than love. And it will be 
anti-mission, seeking to conquest on earth rather than seeking to build the kingdom of God through the winning of souls. That's how you know. Make no mistake about it, don't think you know just because they, they, they mention other gods, Buddha and, and, and Hindu possibly or, or Allah or, or Confucius. Don't think that you know, oh, okay, that kind of persecution. No, because some of this persecution will be done while people are shouting Jesus. In the early 16th century, the... College Press New International Version Com- New International Version Commentary tells us about the Roman Catholic Church and how they captured the Anabaptist leader, condemned him as a heretic for rejecting infant baptism and for rejecting the Lord's Supper or the bodily presence. In other words, he didn't believe that when you took the bread and the wine, you were actually taking literally Jesus' blood and Jesus' body. He just believed that it was representative of Jesus' blood and Jesus' body, what we believe. He didn't believe in infant baptism, which we don't believe in. And at his trial, the Roman Catholic Church in the early 16th century said, you desperate villain and arch heretic, I tell you, there were if there were no hangman here, I would hang you myself. And listen, think that I had done God's service. And so he was tortured by having his tongue cut out and being burned with red-hot iron tongs. He was tied to a ladder and burned at the stake. A few days later, his wife was executed by drowning by the church in the name of Jesus. So this is what those who name the name of Jesus are being faced with. This is, what, this is what the disciples in particular have to look forward to. But why does Jesus share these words with them now? A few reasons. Number one, to keep them from falling away. He says in verse one, I have said these things, all these things to you to keep you from following, falling rather away. There is something far more dangerous been causing the disciples to grow concerned about persecution for Jesus. And there is something far more dangerous to Jesus than even the actual persecution itself. And that is the falling away due to the persecution. Because while the persecution may lead to the destruction of the body, the falling away will ensure the destruction of the soul. Tracking with that. Satan is far more interested in destroying your soul than he is the threat of your life. The threat of your life is to get you to, the, to renounce God, the destruction of the soul. So he puts the adversity in front of you, not simply to kill you. He's not worried about killing you. He puts the threat in front of you to destroy your soul. Are you tracking with that? In Job chapter 1, the book of Job in the Old Testament, Satan roams to and fro looking for someone in, in, which, he might, in which he might tempt, right? And, and he goes to God and he talks to God about Job. And God begins to have a conversation with Satan about, or rather, or rather God mentions Job. And, and Satan says, you have a hedge of protection around him. I can't get to him, right? And so it sounds like Satan is thinking, I can't get to him, but if you release the hedge of protection, then I can get to him and I can kill him. That's not what Satan says. 
Satan says, if you release the hedge of protection around him, then he will curse you to, to your face. So what's the point? Satan isn't interested in his life. He, he's, he isn't even interested in making him sick. He's interested in destroying his soul. That's what the persecution is for. And so Jesus says, I have said these things to you in order that you may not fall away. Matthew 13 tells us the parable of a sower, and, he says, and it says that the sower goes out and he casts seed into four different types of soil. He says the, the first soil is, is just on the long side of the road, and, and the birds come and swoop that soil before you know it. And, and the second type of soil, he talks about it being in rocky ground, and, the, and, and that, that soil sprouts immediately, takes, uh, takes a sprout immediately, but doesn't have deep root, and so it eventually dies. He goes on and on, and then he gets to the fourth he gets to the fourth uh, uh, soil, and Jesus says that that soil is good soil, so that when the seed is cast into that soil, it takes root, and it begins to bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. And then he begins to explain the story. Well, the rocky ground, he says, he says that's the soil, or that's the person who immediately hears the word of God and receives it with joy. But then persecution comes, and they fall away. See, they've embraced part of the word, but they haven't embraced the whole word. You understand that? The person who is on good soil, they've embraced it all. They've heard that, yes, this walk that the Bible does, or, or that Jesus has told us that, yes, we must come, deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. In other words, there may be hardship as a result of this. The person that has heard the, heard the whole word understands that all of these things are true. And yet, Jesus is greater, and so I go. Does that make sense? But the person who has only heard part of it says that I'll go as long as it's good. But the minute it turns bad, I'm out of here. And so Jesus is helping the disciples by giving them the whole truth and sharing with them these words. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. But it's not just falling away that he's concerned with, it's also strengthening their faith. He says in verse 4, but I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. You, you would think withholding this truth might be the most appropriate way to keep everyone's spirit up and keep everyone positive. But Jesus says instead, if I don't tell you the truth, the threat is greater that you will leave. And so on the contrary to how most of us would probably handle this, Jesus says, I need to tell you so that when the time comes for persecution, you may remember that I told you, and these truths will serve as deposits that later on yield dividends of faith. How so? Because as you remember that I said it was coming, you'll know that everything else I told you was true as well. Everything else, including I will never leave you nor forsake you. Everything else, including I will be with you always until the end of the age. Everything else, including come unto me, all ye that labor, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and then you shall find rest for your soul. Everything else, if, if, if I told you that the persecution was coming and it does come, it's not going to weaken your faith. It's going to strengthen your faith because you're going to say, well, everything else he said must be true as well. 
And so let us continue to go. Let us continue to run. Though they hate us, though they slay us, though they persecute us, let us continue because he told us it was coming. Can you imagine how they would have responded if he would have withheld all of that information from them and said nothing about what was to come? Can you imagine how they would have responded when they would, if they would have heard only good things from Jesus and never heard any of the trials or the hardships that were in front of them? And then the trials and the hardships appear. What would they have said? This guy was a liar. He gave us all this sweet information, all this sweet news, but he never told us that this kind of stuff would happen. It's the same danger that we run when we as churches do the same thing, isn't it? When we share only good news and we share nothing of the hardships that may come as a result of walking with Jesus, and then the hardship comes. We set our people up to denounce the faith, not embrace it. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? So he shares this to strengthen their faith, but he, he, share, he shares this above all things. Because he thinks it's, it's now time to share it since the Spirit is coming. He says in verse 4, the same passage, second half of that, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. You didn't need to hear them because I was here. But now I'm about to be gone. The Spirit's coming. And he's about to start revealing some things. And so I'm sharing this as a first step. I'm sharing this as a first step among many that you're going to take now that I'm leaving and the Spirit is coming. You know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say that, 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 I was, that I didn't share these things with you because I was trying to keep, keep us from losing power in this world or, or, or Jesus doesn't even mention cultural or political power as the key to, to, to standing strong in the faith and holding fast in the faith in the midst of persecution. He doesn't mention any of that. You say, you say, well, what's the point, Brian? Well, the point is this. Sometimes we think that if we can get enough power in this world, right, then that's going to be our salvation in the midst of a world that's trying to slowly or slowly growing to persecute us and slowly growing to hate us. You notice Jesus doesn't mention any of that. He doesn't talk about political seats. He doesn't talk about building kingdoms here. Some of us think that that's the way that we're going to be saved from ongoing persecution. And he says, no, nah, it has nothing to do with it. The Spirit does, though. And that's why I'm talking to you about the Spirit, because that's what is going to keep you in a world that grows increasingly aggressive towards you. Not your power in that world, but the Spirit's power. He says in verse 5, now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So as we read these words, it's worth pondering for a moment to ourselves. How many of us in this room view the spirit like Jesus views the Spirit. And what I mean by that is this. How many of us call on the Spirit to help us in our Christian life? 
Because Jesus says that the Spirit will serve as a helper. As a matter of fact, in the, in the, in the chapter preceding this, he says that the Spirit will serve as a, another helper. In other words, like I helped you while I walked with you for these three years, so the Spirit now will come and help you. And not just you, but all those that follow you and that, lay, and that claim, my, claim me as Lord and claim me as Savior. So do we view the Spirit in the same way Jesus views the Spirit? When life is throwing chaos at your front door, how many of us will seek the Spirit's help to navigate that chaos? When we are hesitant to share the gospel, how many of us will seek the Spirit's help for boldness to speak? When depression sets in and, and, and when spiritual fatigue sets in and when our lives are filled with far more bad days than they appear to be filled with good days, how many of us are seeking the Spirit's help in restoring the joy of our salvation? How many of us are honestly asking the Spirit, the one who was called the helper, to help? I'm convinced that part of the problem that so many of us are living, so many of us are living such ineffective and inept Christian lives is because we are absolutely 100% trying to live them in our own power and strength. And let me share something with you, family. You don't have that much power to wage war against what the world is throwing at you on a regular basis. You don't have the power. You can't muster the power to do it. Your power must come from another source. Are you seeking help from the helper? We can fake Christian success. We can fake it so easily that oftentimes we, we feel like we're entitled to pursue that success without the help of the Spirit, without the help of God. We can fake a good life. We can fake a happy life. We can fake a joyful life. We can fake um, a, a thriving Christian community. We can fake all of these things in such a way that oftentimes we are enticed to pursue it without Christ, without the Spirit. You understand that? Francis Chan in the book Forgotten God says this. He highlights this as he talks about churches and church growth, he says, even our church growth can happen without God, without the Spirit. Let's be honest, he continues, if you combine a charismatic speaker and a talented worship band and some hip and creative events, people will attend your church. Yet this does not mean that the Holy Spirit of God is actively working and moving in the lives of the people who are coming. It simply means that you have created a space that is appealing enough to draw people in for an hour on Sunday. I personally come from a background where we attributed everything to the Spirit, including the things that, that he didn't want attributed to him. But we can make the mistake of leaning too far to the other side and don't attribute anything to him. And don't seek him for anything. And don't pursue him for anything. Just try to do all of this on our own. And Christ didn't intend for us to do that. Our lives are supposed to be dependent on the Spirit's help. So Jesus has articulated the necessity of the Spirit's arrival. 
namely to help the apostles, but primarily and immediately to help them, but secondarily and down the road to help us and all those that come to know Christ, to help us bear the weight of living in a world that's, that's authorities and systems and worldviews oppose us ferociously and persecute us ferociously and possess the power to fill our hearts with sorrow and grief and doubt and even drive us from the faith apart from the keeping power of God. But Jesus says that's why the Spirit comes. And as he comes, he will aid you in resisting these raging waves that come in from the opposing world against the banks of your soul. In verses 8 through 15, he highlights two major ways in which the Spirit will do this. He first sets actions that, 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 that he will take towards the world, and then he sets actions that he will take towards us. So let's look at the first way. The, the, so let's look at the way in which he is taking actions towards the world, the Spirit, that is. Verses 8 through 11, he says, And when he comes, the Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Talks about the idea that he will convict the world of sin, and that makes sense to us when we hear it, Right? That the Spirit is going to come and, and the sins of the world, namely the, the chief sin, which is unbelief in Jesus Christ, the Spirit will make prominent. And he, will let, and he will let the world know. How will he let the world know? Through the apostles, through the Word of God, through us, those that are indwelled in, with the Spirit. He will let the world know that, that that lack of belief in Jesus Christ ultimately will lead to their destruction. And so that rebuke, that conviction will come. But righteousness, how is he convicting the world of righteousness? How is he rebuking the world concerning righteousness? Well, it's not Christ's righteousness. It's, our, it's, it's the righteousness that we love to hold, hold, uh, hold in our own ability. It's self-righteousness is what it is. He will convict the world concerning their self-righteousness. He will convict the world concerning the idea that they can save themselves. He will convict the world concerning the idea that in them is enough sufficiency to stand before a holy God on judgment day and not receive wrath. He will convict them in the, in the sense that they will, they will come to know through the Spirit that there is only one way to God, and that is through his righteous Son, and that all of us are unrighteousness, or are, are unrighteous rather. And that our most righteous deeds, according to Isaiah, are like filthy rags. And according to Paul, all of, all of us have gone, ash, uh, gone astray. All of us like sheep, rather, according to Peter, have gone astray. And the Lord has laid upon his one sheep, his one lamb, rather, the iniquity and the sin debt of us all, allowing us to stand before him in righteousness. He will convict the world and allow the world to see that without the righteousness of the Savior, there is no salvation. And he will convict the world concerning judgment. And how does that happen? Well, for all that is said in Christianity and regarding our tendency as Christians to judge the world harshly, what is often not spoken of is the world's tendency to propose its own set of judgments. These judgments are dangerous for a number of reasons. One, because they are rarely seen as judgments. Even though the world, the world is casting judgments all the time, 
they never quantify them or they never, or they never classify them as judgment. So that's dangerous. But the second reason that they're dangerous is because they are eternally wrong. Eternally wrong. They lead to eternal consequences. The Spirit will convict the world on its judgments. The judgments that it makes. Because the ruler of this world is judged. I mentioned that these judgments are rarely seen as judgments. Here, when Jesus says that, it, that the Spirit will convict the world on its, ju- on its judgments, that would be extremely offensive in our culture because our culture doesn't think it judges. He says, to the, he says that the Spirit is going to rebuke them and correct them, however, in that regard. I mean, we live by the, we live by the, by the motto as a culture you do what you do, and I'm going to do what I do, right? And we're just not going to judge each other, right? You just do whatever you do, I do whatever I do, and everybody's gravy. I don't judge. I don't judge, right? That's, that, that's normally something that you hear all the time in our culture. That's why, that's why Christians irritate the world so much with their position on, on a, a, a host of different things, right? With their position on marriage or sexual ethics. And, and, and people say, well, wait a second, who are you to judge who I choose to love and, and whether or not I choose to get married before I express that love in intimate ways? I just let people live how they want to live. But you Christians, y'all judge too much. And Tim Keller would answer such a person in this way. He says, is there anyone in the world right now doing things you believe that they should stop doing? no matter what they personally believe about the correctness of their behavior, they would in, invariably say, those people who say, I don't judge, they would invariably say, yes, of course. Then, then Tim Keller says, I would ask, doesn't that mean that you do believe there is some kind of moral reality that is there that is not defined by us, that must be abided by regardless of what a person thinks or what a person feels? He says always that leads to silence from the person that he's asking the question. See, we all judge. We all make judgments. When you tell me that it's wrong for me to have a position on sexuality, that's a judgment. You tracking with that? You're saying, hey, you, you shouldn't have a position on sexuality, and, and, and if you have a position on sexuality, then I don't like you. You're a bigot. Well, wait a second. Then how, how do we get to bigot? That's a judgment, right? We all make judgments. We all judge. The question is, whose judgment is right, whose judgment is wrong? Do you understand that? It's not a question of whether or not somebody judges or somebody doesn't judge. The question is, whose judgments are right, whose judgments are wrong? Which leads to the words that Jesus says, because the the Spirit will convict and rebuke concerning judgment Because the ruler of this world is judged. The very one who is setting the course of the world, determining what is righteous in their eyes and what is unrighteous in their eyes, determining for the world what is appropriate for God, when it is appropriate for God to speak and when he he should rather uh, keep him quiet or when we should rather keep him quiet, manipulating generation after generation, culture after culture to judge what is evil as what is good, and what is good as what is evil. That ruler, Jesus declares that that ruler, the one that everyone is following and taking their cues of judgment from, will be judged. 
Jesus declares that, yes, this world will judge you as enemies of, enemies of them, and in many cases, enemies of their God or their gods. And they will call you, they will call your best intentions evil, no matter how loving, how gracious, how merciful they're presented in. But understand, it is because they are controlled by a force so powerful, yet so undercover in his workings, that even we struggle to determine the depth of his influence in our world. The ruler of this world is pushing that agenda forward. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that 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 ruler has blinded the minds of those who refuse to accept the gospel. That that ruler, Satan, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one in which he bled and died, the one, the one that tells us that we are all sinners and we need a Savior. And that Savior took upon on his own shoulders our, our, our wrath, that we, the wrath of God that was born or that was pointed towards us. He took it upon himself. That, that gospel, the ruler of this world, blinds the world to it so that they can't see it, they can't understand it, and they literally think that it's evil, not good. But Jesus triumphs over that ruler. The Bible says through the cross, Jesus triumphs over that ruler. It says that through the cross in Colossians chapter 2, that he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. And this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. So the ruler of his world and his judgments, they will be judged. And it is through Christ that they will be judged and that they are being judged. And that is a work that the Spirit is doing even right now. He's using you to do it as well. This is all the work that the Spirit is doing in the world. But what is the work that the Spirit is doing as we close in us? or towards us, towards the apostles first and later towards us. That's what verses 15 through 12 through 15 are about. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he speaks, he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come, and he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Real quickly, number one, the Spirit gives us power to hear the truth about God. Jesus says that I have a lot more to say to you, but you can't bear it now. When the Spirit comes, you'll be able to bear it. Can you imagine that? These guys have been walking with Jesus for three years. They've been listening to all the sermons, right? They've seen all the signs. They've eaten all the fish meals with them. Everybody, everybody's been in, right? When Jesus turns, turns the, the fish, I mean, multiplies the fish, multiplies the bread, the disciples all got loaves, right? Everybody's there. And yet, he says, there's some things I can't share with you yet, but when the Spirit comes, he will share those things with you. The power of the Spirit is on display that even three years of walking with Jesus was not enough for them. They needed the indwelling spirit in their life. Not simply God among them, but God in them. They needed God in them. 
So the Spirit gives us power to hear the truth about Christ. The Spirit also gives us all the truth concerning Christ. He says, when the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He gives us all the truth. And so the, and so the disciples, as, the, as Jesus departed, right, there were some things that they understood about him, some things that they didn't understand about him. But as he departed and then the Spirit came, all of a sudden, the revelation began to pour out upon them, and they began to write. And that's where we got our New Testament from, right? The New Testament is not a product of just simply all the things they heard, but it's a product of all the things that were revealed as well. Does that make sense? The Spirit fully unpacked all the revelation concerning Jesus for them. And so this is the Spirit's handiwork that you and I read on a daily basis. He made all truth available, and he helps us to understand those truths as we read through them. Amen? But then he says, but then also that the Spirit glorifies me in verse 14, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so the Spirit will seek to glorify Jesus by taking what he has received from Jesus, what he has received from the Father, and making it known to the disciples and ultimately to us. And so the Spirit's work is to highlight Jesus. The Spirit's work goes beyond just tapping you on the shoulder during a service to elicit an emotional, emotional response. The Spirit's work is to highlight Jesus to highlight him in all of his glory and all of his splendor, to highlight all the revelation and all the truth concerning him, to bring him complete glory and complete honor. That is the Spirit's work. That's what he's doing in this world. The Spirit's work is to continue to cause the work of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to bear heavily on your heart to rehearse it in your heart, to help you understand when it's time to forgive somebody how much you've been forgiven of. That's the Spirit's work. That's what he's doing. Amen? As you, seek, as you seek to fall away from God because it's become too hard to remind you of the rewards and the promises that Christ has given us through, through the gospel, to highlight them and to, and to illuminate them within your soul, that's the Spirit's work. The Spirit may impact our emotions. Don't get me wrong. The Spirit may impact our activity to, to create and impact our activity to build. But the Spirit above all things and in those things is always seeking to make Christ known. Preaching, preaching is the Spirit's work, but make no mistake about it. If the preaching has no declaration of Christ, if the preaching has no, no illumination of his glory, if the preaching is not making a boast in the gospel, then it is void of the Spirit's power. It doesn't matter how emotional, how charismatic, how, how, how um, illustrative it may appear. If it is not making a boast of the cross, then the Spirit is not in it because that is the, is the primary purpose of the Spirit. Do you understand? And so that's what the Spirit is doing in each and every single one of you, making Jesus known in greater ways and deeper ways. 
So let the Spirit do His work. Amen? And seek the Spirit's help for the, for the wrestle of this Christian life. Seek the Spirit's help. He's there to help you. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you and give you all the praise and glory and honor. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us seek our helper. That you would help us, Lord God, seek the help of the Spirit. Not let us live this life or seek to live this life in our own power and our own strength, but look to live this life dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. For it is in his power, Lord God, that we stand. It is in his power that we are kept. It is in his power that we are strengthened in the faith. So let us do that, Lord God. These things we ask and we pray in your son Christ's name. This message was brought to you by the family and friends of City Light Church. For church worship times, directions, support opportunities, or other ministry information, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org.